one of these. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, we shall be looking at today, beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. So here are your Bibles with you, and open Luke 6, chapter 6, uh, sorry, Luke 6, uh, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Heavenly Father, Lord, what an honour and a privilege it is for us to uh, open your word together as a family here, as a body of believers here in this place this morning. Lord, we ask that you minister to our hearts, our heads, our thoughts, our whole beings this morning. Encourage us, equip us and challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we'll be working through Jesus' second, or the beginning of Jesus' second sermon, as recorded in Luke's account of Jesus' life. Last week we learned that Jesus, after spending all nights up on the mountainside, calls his disciples up to him. And there weren't just 12, there were many disciples that he, called, he would have called up to him. But out of those disciples he would have called the 12. The 12 which he designated his apostles. And then after doing so they came down the mountain together onto a level place, as we read, where we also understand that there is a mass group of people, a large number gathered, quite possibly because they heard of Jesus and they were interested to hear what this person had to say. So I really want us to get this picture in our mind of this vast amount of people on this plane ready to hear what Jesus has to say. But it's at this point that we read, and I quote, he lifted his eyes on his disciples and said, he lifted his eyes on his disciples and said, now this statement is important as it tells us his intended audience. It wasn't the large crowd that had come out to hear him. It was his disciples 
whom he was going to be speaking to, whom he was going to be sharing this sermon with, though I'm sure all those standing around him would have had radar ears trying to hear everything that he was saying to them. So as mentioned last week, if we consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, if we consider ourselves to be teachings, uh, students of Jesus' teachings, then it would seem that this sermon, though he was speaking to his disciples 2,000 years ago, the truth of it will be relevant to us today. Would we all agree with that? So that means when we work through this sermon, it's important for us to sit up and pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Would we all agree? Amen. Amen. So Jesus begins with this word, blessed. What a wonderful word, blessed. And then he goes into a series of statements. Now, when thinking about this sermon, I spent some time thinking about what the word blessed or blessings means to us in the world today, in the world around us. This feeling of being blessed tends to follow an achievement of some sort, a gift that we have received, maybe, or that feeling after a positive event, situation that brings us joy and happiness. If you say you've been blessed, you may well feel lucky to have something. Maybe your health, maybe love, maybe fame, fortune, a talent of some sort. And the list can go on and on and on. Me and Kelly were out walking um, on Friday, uh, just round Clanfield, wasn't it? Clanfield. We were out for a few hours, and it was just, it was wonderful. It was cold, there was still frost on the ground, there was blue sky, sunshine, and we were walking over one particular field next to the, uh, next to the Thames, wasn't it? And we just, we just had that moment. Aren't we blessed to live in such a beautiful part of the country? I think we are anyway. It's a word that we use a lot and we hear a lot. We even use the word blessed when we sneeze. Bless you. Now there's many folklores as to where that came from. Uh, the one that I tend to stick to is uh, uh, Pope um, Gregory back in 590 when uh, after a plague he believed that the sign that someone has the plague is sneezing. So he said to everybody, if you hear someone sneeze, bless them. And that's where we got it from. I don't know. I don't, I'm sure there are other um, folklores from where that come from. But when we come to look at Jesus' blessings at the outset of his sermon, we can't but help think them rather peculiar. He says to his disciples, that they will be blessed if they are poor. They will be blessed if they are hungry. They will be blessed if they are sad and weeping and when they are hated and insulted by others because they follow Jesus. 
Oh, what it would be to be a fly on the wall when Jesus says that to them. Could you imagine their faces? Didn't quite compute. Hang on, we're blessed because we're poor. Now, I don't know about you, but none of the above sound like much of a blessing to me. All of these statements are counterintuitive to what we know a blessing to be. Would you feel blessed if you were poor and hungry? Would you feel blessed if you felt sad and you were weeping? Would you feel blessed if people hated you and insulted you because you were a Christian? You wouldn't, would you? Would we? We're very quiet. We wouldn't feel blessed, would we? Let's be truthful. But then Jesus goes on to say an even more or even more peculiar statements than those four that he's just said. He says, woe to you if you are rich. Woe to you if you are well fed. Woe to you if you laugh. Woe to you if people speak well of you. Now we, have, we all have a fairly good understanding of what a blessing is, but Jesus is now using this word, woe. It's not the most inviting of words, is it? And not a word that we hear very often today. But we have to ask the question, what does it mean? What does it mean in the context of when we read it throughout scripture? Because that helps us to understand what's going on. So the key to understanding the meaning of woe is within the context of how it's used throughout Scripture. As an example, within the Bible, there are three main circumstances when woe tends to be used, but they do tend to overlink and overlap. The first is when it's in reference to feelings. So it can be used to express a feeling of grief, of regret, of misfortune or a grievous distress from a great affliction maybe or being in some sort of trouble that we feel that we can't get out of. It can, it can be a sorrowful feeling that we can't often put our finger on or explain. The second, I would suggest, is in reference to judgment. Woe is used in scripture as a judgment word. It can be used to signify impending doom, condemnation, or the wrath of God. Jesus used the word woe in the context more than anyone else in scripture. Anyone else. Luke's gospel has twice as much in it. Or sorry, Jesus speaks and shares the word woe more than anyone else in its counterpart to the Old Testament. So Ezekiel was the closest. Ezekiel, we have the word woe six times. In Luke, it's 12. And that's only second to Matthew. Sorry, Matthew's only second to Luke. So Jesus, he uses this word woe a lot. So we have to understand why. On rare occasions, woe is used three times in close succession, often using conjunction 
with God's righteous judgment. So as an example, when God's judgment upon sinful mankind is being revealed, the Apostle John writes, Then I look, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the, last, of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow, taken from Revelation. So, we've had feeling, we've had judgment. And the third, I would suggest, woe is used as a warning, in warning terminology. The prophet Hosea gives us a good example of woe as a warning. God, through him, said these words to the nation of Israel. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. Have you ever had, I'm not asking for a row of, row of uh, show of hands here, have you ever had a fellow Christian, obviously not in this church, but a fellow Christian tempt you to do something that's sinful? Have you, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but come see me afterwards, have you, have you ever tempted someone, another believer, into a sinful act? Listen to what Jesus says. Woe to the world for temptation to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. There's a warning there. Now if we look at the context in which Jesus is making these four woe statements, I would suggest they fall into the warning bracket. Jesus is warning them of a judgment to come by a righteous God if they don't listen to him, if they don't take on board what he's saying, if they don't change and adapt their life, if they fall into this bracket. So what... So we have these two parallel statements that Jesus has made to his disciples. On the one hand, we have these blessings. But then on the other hand, we have these woes. Blessed if they are poor, hungry, weeping, hated for being a follower of Jesus. But woe, a warning. Warned if they are rich, well fed. Laugh now and if people speak well of them. Now looking at both Jesus' blessings and woes, we can see what they, they are what is called conditional statements. Conditional statements. If this happens, then that will happen. Yeah, do we get, understand that? That happens, this happens. Conditional statement. If you are poor, then the kingdom of God is yours. There's the if. There's the then. If you are hungry, then you will be satisfied. If you weep, then you will laugh. But if you are rich, you have already received your reward. If you are full now, you shall be hungry. If you laugh now, you shall weep 
and you shall mourn. That these conditional statements seem at opposite ends of the spectrum and seem, they just seem wrong, don't they? They seem wrong in um, the way that our society and the culture around us would rebracket all of those woes and blessings. They just don't quite fit with what we think is right and wrong. I mean, if we were to write these blessings and these woes out from the world's standards by how the world around us works, this is what I would suggest it might sound like. Blessed are you who are rich, for yours is the kingdom of God. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that flow better? Blessed are you who are rich, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you if you are well fed, for you will continue to be satisfied. Blessed are you who laugh now, for you will keep laughing. Blessed are you when people speak well of you, because you follow the Son of God. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Hmm? Woe to you who are poor, you won't receive comfort. Woe to you who hunger now, for you will continue to go hungry. Woe to you who weep now, for you will continue to mourn and weep. And woe to you when people hate you, exclude you and reject your name, because they will continue to do so. Now, I know I've just put all those together in a different order, but does that not sound slightly more accurate? to the way that the world around us would approach those things. Wouldn't they? Within our hierarchical society, the rich have made it. The poor, well, they're just an inconvenience. But not Jesus. Praise God. He turns their thinking upside down. He turns it on their heads. He challenges their thinking about their lives and the danger of living a particular way on the one hand. But on the other, he brings hope and comfort to them then and for the future. Praise God. We see here very clearly one of Jesus' main reasons for his coming, God incarnate, into this world. It was to challenge the status quo. It was to turn the world on its head. Ultimately, the goal, his goal, was to point people through himself back to God the Father. That's why these woes and blessings sound muddled and wrong to us. Like they're the wrong way round. The kingdom of God that Jesus come to establish is opposite to the world systems we see and know around us. And praise God that it is. Because where would we be 
So what's going on here? Well, to help us understand the point Jesus is making in these conditional statements, let's put the opposing blessing and woe together. And let's see if we can give a bit of an explanation as to what it is actually Jesus was saying to his disciples. Because one of the challenges that we have, one of the challenges that we have, is when you read this sermon, it can sound very clinical, can't it? Jesus said, this, 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 that, 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 this, 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 that, that, that. What you don't get is how Jesus was saying it. Was he passionate? How did, did he look in their eyes when he said it? Was he walking around putting his hand on their shoulders to bring compassion in the words that he was sharing? We don't often read scripture that way, trying to understand Jesus. Remember Jesus, was, yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. So he had a character. He had a personality. He had a way that he would have shared we have to be allow ourselves when we read scripture the possibility to wonder to allow ourselves to imagine what it would be like in that moment hearing those words that we're reading if that person was standing in front of us saying it to us and the most wonderful thing that we have is the holy spirit was the Holy Spirit there on that day when Jesus shared that sermon as he is with us right now? So you have someone with you and in you, the Holy Spirit, that, it, that could give you insight into what it was like there and then. If we allow ourselves to and we ask. But sometimes we can get caught up reading clinically our way through scripture. So let us see if we can piece together what Jesus is saying here. Dare you to imagine yourself being there and hearing Jesus say this. Let it come alive to you. So on the one hand, the blessing, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But then counter to that, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. I just get this picture of Jesus turning, looking at his disciples and saying, disciples, if you are poor in material possessions, but you put your total dependent trust in God the Father, you are blessed. You are blessed. God will look after you in this life and the life to come. Those of you listening, those of you who are rich, who delight and trust in your riches above God, above more than God, be warned. You have received your reward in this life. In this life. And a couple of notes just to make on that. Jesus is not saying that poverty in itself is a blessing. It is only a blessing when accompanied by trust in God 
because you will be looked after. You will be cared for. Also, he's not saying that being rich or having high positions, and, and it, it, that isn't the issue here. That's not what Jesus, the point that Jesus is making is when you place those things, your love of those things, before your dedication and love for God. That's when it becomes a problem. So let's move on. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied, but woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Again, I just get this picture of him standing there looking at his disciples, saying, you may not feel it, but you are blessed. You are blessed if you are hungry, both physically and spiritually, but you are putting your total trust in God. He will provide all your needs in this life and in the next. Is he not the Alpha and the Omega? The beginning and the end and the creator of all things. But woe to you. Woe to you, disciples. If you are always full in your belly. Without any worldly cares. Little, having little faith. And you don't put your trust fully and wholly in the Lord your God. For an awful hunger awaits you. Blessed, we move on. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Dear disciples, life is hard, it's not easy. You may not be able to laugh. You may not want to laugh. But keep focused. Keep focused on God. Trust in him. Put him first in your life. Not only will he bring you comfort in this life, but in the life to come, there will be never-ending joy and laughter. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Wonderful promise. But to those of you who laugh now, who are boastful, mockful, cruel and insensitive toward other people, who care little for other people and care little for God, you will mourn when God's judgment comes. No, Jesus is not condemning all joy and all laughter. That's not the point he's making here. That would be a really sad thing if it was, wouldn't it? Gosh, that's not the point he's making. He's speaking into the selfish attitude of those people who we just spoke about, the woes. It's the selfish attitude. And then comes what I think is one of the hardest, or the hardest of them all. 
And only because as humans, we like, we like to be liked by people, don't we? Don't we? I do. We like to be liked. A tongue twister. Blessed are you when people hate you. Wow. When they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because your reward, your, your reward is great in heaven. But that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Looking out, he's looking at his disciples. He's on a roll by this point. He's looking at and saying, disciples, you can't be in both camps. You can't have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world around you. Because they're both at odds with each other. If you're a follower of mine, people will laugh at you. They will reject you. They will call you names. They will disown you. All because of your faith and your commitment to me and the kingdom that I represent. Rejoice. Rejoice when that happens. Be glad for one day when you are welcomed into heaven. Your reward will be great. Do we often think like that? When someone laughs at us for being a Christian. When actually, and I know of people who, who this has happened to, where family have disowned them for being a Christian. Do they feel happy and joyous? Not from the world standard, no. But through God, yes. Of course they can rejoice because they know what awaits them. They know what awaits them. Remember the prophets of old, Jesus says. True prophets. They were beaten, tortured, hated, excluded for my namesake. Now they are blessed. But if you are more interested in the approval of others like the prophets of old, saying only things people want to hear and seeking the approval of the world around you rather than God, then you must face the consequences of that decision. I think you would agree this is some challenging teaching of Jesus. And we're only at the beginning. But it's challenging teachings. It would have been for the disciples who were hearing it for the first time 2,000 years ago, as it is for us hearing it today. But I don't want us to leave today feeling deflated, because that is not the purpose of Jesus' message. It's not the purpose of Jesus' message. It's a challenge, and it should be a challenge to us. There's not much point in us walking out of here each Sunday we should walk out actually knowing two things, that we are absolutely loved, unconditionally. And we don't have to do anything for that, but grace and love by Jesus. And we should feel challenged. 
Because actually, if you look at most of Jesus' teaching, he's speaking into the times and he's challenging. But as Christians, those of us who have received Jesus and Lord and Saviour, these words that we have read so far and the rest of the sermon that we will hear over the coming weeks, this is life to us. This is life. Yes, they make us sit up and take stock of our lives and how we act and how we think and how we speak. But isn't that a good thing? Where would we be if our parents just let us run riot? And they didn't pull us up. If they didn't give us a flick round the ear and they didn't sit us down and tell us which, which direction is the better one to go. This is exactly what Jesus is doing here. When we strip away the layers of this sermon and look at the root reason for Jesus' blunt challenge to his disciples and subsequently us today, we see a foundation of love. It's a foundation of love. Jesus loves us so much and not only did he come to establish a new kingdom and invite us to be citizens of that kingdom come to show us grace and mercy and compassion. He came to die for us and rise for us. And he will return for us. And anyone that calls upon the name of Jesus through faith and believes in him. That's wonderful. Jesus makes no apology in challenging his disciples. He makes no apology challenging us today. And I love you with all my heart, but I make no apology for emphasising that challenge that Jesus brings us, because I'm speaking about it to myself as well. <coughs> it's exactly what a loving God does. And he does so in preparation for when the bridegroom comes and claims his bride. Isn't that beautiful? And I'm going to pray. I'd like to invite the band, band up. Now I have you, Father. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you for the truth of your word, the challenge of your word. Lord, I thank you that you placed on my heart today to share to your church not only the words on the page, but encouraging us to go deeper, to understand the whys and the wherefores, the how expressions because too often Lord we can just look at your Bible and read them as just words on a page and forget you are a living God and that your spirit who was present when the world began and will be when this world comes to an end was there at every single moment of the time 
And I just pray, Lord, that you help us all as we journey through this sermon. Help this sermon to come alive in our hearts. Help us to always stand on the underlying foundation of this sermon, which is always love. Jesus wouldn't be saying these words if he didn't love the disciples from that moment to now. He wouldn't have been saying these words if there wasn't hope, if there wasn't compassion, there wasn't grace, there wasn't a way back for us to connect to the Father. Lord, I thank you so much that Jesus come and died on that cross for us all. Fill us with your enthusiasm, fill us with your joy, so that we may be light to those whom we come in contact with next week. Help us to ponder what we've learned today. Go back over, reread, explore. And as always, through your Holy Spirit, help us to learn and apply into our everyday lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.